I was air drumming over there. I was trying not to sing loud because I wanted to save my voice, but we'll see how this goes, man. That's a good song. Hey, guys, I am so stoked to be here with you tonight. Charlie's going, oh, you, got, you guys can have a seat. Yeah, I won't make you stand the whole time. I'm going to preach for like two hours, so I don't want you to stand in the whole time, all right? Kidding. All right, guys, guess what? It's my birthday today. Yeah. Guess what? I'm 29. 29 and feeling fine, all right? Yeah. I'm already starting to bald, you know? Got hair growing in places I never thought it would grow. You know, it's, it's awesome getting old. You guys just wait. You wait. It's coming for you. But hey, I'm stoked to be here, but I'm also excited to be kicking off our new series, Grace and Truth. So we're going to be looking at a study through the book of Daniel. We want to answer the question, how do I stand for God in a fallen world? How do I be in the world and not of it? How do I speak truthfully to others, but also speak gracefully to others? How do I be obedient in the midst of disobedience? So how do I stand for God in a fallen world? This is kind of what this series is going to be about. So if you guys have your Bibles, open up to the book of Daniel. Daniel is after Ezekiel. It's before Hosea. Hey, if you guys can't find it, the table of contents is your best friend. Feel free to look it up. And uh, if you guys have your phones, go ahead and open up to Daniel. So, okay, who was Daniel? We got to know who Daniel is, right? We can't just start reading it and be like, yo, who's this dude? I've never, I've never even heard of Daniel. You're probably thinking, wait, Daniel, I know that guy, that dude on Vine that was back at it again with the white vans. You guys, yeah, yeah, some of you know it, some of you don't. That was my cheap joke of the night. But yeah, it's not that Daniel, so you can forget about that. But uh, Daniel, he was a prophet who was exiled in Babylon because of Israel's disobedience in 600 BC. So he was a slave in Babylon in 600 BC. And uh, it's kind of like his people, Israel, that he was a part of, they were uh, disobedient. And so Daniel's paying the consequences. It's kind of like when you guys, you know, has anyone ever played Fortnite? It's like Fortnite when you drop and all your other teams go on the other way and you're like, hey, the two of you, we're, we're going this way. And then they die like immediately because they were disobedient. You're like, should have followed the map. That's what you get. That's kind of like this, but not really, but kind of. You tracking with me? So Daniel's people were disobedient. So you might be thinking, really, 600 BC? Dude, Brian, this was like so long ago. How does this even relate to me today? Well, hey, I'm glad you guys asked because I'm gonna show you how it relates to you. So what if I told you Daniel was a teenager? We got any teenagers in the house? Oh, none? Okay, yeah, teenagers. Well, you might, hey, wait, I'm a teenager. Yeah, that's right, all right, all right. So what if I told you Daniel had friends? You're like, wait, I have friends. Okay, now we're, we're tracking. I, hopefully you guys have friends. We're all friends in here, all right? Well, what if I told you Daniel was trying to be obedient to God when everyone else around him was not? Boom, now this starts to hit home. Maybe you're thinking, hey, I'm trying to be obedient to God. And my friends, they're, they're kind of not. They're attempting me to do things, but I'm trying to be obedient. So now it starts to hit home. So this is where Daniel was at. So let's dive into the text and see what Daniel was faced with. Okay, so Daniel 1. Scripture reads like this, says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem 
and besieged it. Okay, so hey, with any story, you gotta know who, you gotta know some characters. So who is this dude? Jehoiakim, he has a big name that it's hard to pronounce. I used to just skip over the big names. I was like, I don't know that name. And then I went to Bible school and they make you read out loud. And I'm like, oh, j- j- j-. I'm like, it's pronounced Jesus. I'm like, oh, my bad. No, that was a joke. That didn't happen. But yeah, I used to like read over all the, in Old Testament, I was like, oh man. So Jehoiakim, man, this dude was a bad dude. He's a bad king. He tried to destroy the Bible and guess what? It didn't work. It didn't work. Yeah, can I get an amen? Yeah, amen. So it didn't work. He's a bad dude. Well, hey, we see that Nebuchadnezzar, he's a king as well. Comes to Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. What's that mean? He took it over. He said, yo, I'm having that. Yeet, get out of here. So Nebuchadnezzar's like, yep, I'm taking over this city, all right? So he takes over. And so now we have, we got one bad king who got conquered by another bad king. What does that equal? Equals bad news, okay? So we got some bad news. All right, verse two, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So God allows Nebuchadnezzar to rule over. He's a bad king. Why would someone do that? Why would God allow a bad king to take over his people? Well, guess what? He had to. He had to. In Jeremiah, if you look back in the book of Jeremiah, it says that that was gonna happen. This very thing was gonna happen. So for this to be happening right now, God was actually fulfilling his word. He had to do it because he knew that Israel would not obey and that they would be taken into captivity. So we have Nebuchadnezzar, he takes these vessels from the house of God. So we have the one true God, one true God, and then we have these false gods. And so Nebuchadnezzar inherits all these things from like the temple and all of God's treasures. But then he also has all these other mini gods, lowercase g G gods. And he's like, hey, let's put them all in the same place because Every God's the same. Every God's the same. The God of the Bible is the same as these other gods. Have you guys ever heard that? Man, every God's the same. Buddha's the same as Jesus. You know, we have Justin Bieber's the same as Buddha, you know. Have you guys ever heard that in your life, that every God's the same? Well, Nebuchadnezzar believed that. So he takes these things from the house of God and he puts them in a place where they don't belong. Let me tell you something. That's like taking your Zaxby's into Chick-fil-A. Get it out of here, it doesn't belong there. Hey, Chick-fil-A is way better than Zaxby's. And if you don't agree with me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, now I'm preaching. Hey, if you don't agree with me, you can repent right now, okay, and turn to Jesus. But we have someone here in this church who actually likes Zaxby's more than Chick-fil-A. And you guys, I don't, I don't wanna like embarrass them or like tell them who it is, but it's uh, Josh Howerton, you guys know him, that's him. Yeah, he likes Zaxby's better than Chick-fil-A. So you guys can give him a hard time about that. Or hey, you know what Nebuchadnezzar did, he's like, hey, I'm gonna take all of these vessels and put them in the house. Well, that's kind of like walking into an Alabama game, Roll Tide, Roll Tide. That's like walking in, hey, that's like walking into an Alabama game wearing an Auburn jersey. <laughs> Those two, they don't, hey, they don't belong together, right? Amen? At least we can agree on that, right? Okay. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was like, hey, all these vessels, all gods are the same. All gods are the same. I want to abolish, I want to abolish the word of God. I want to get rid of that. All gods are the same. 
But maybe you guys have heard this in your own life. Let's read on. Verse three, uh, then the king commanded, the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish. Notice the word youths. Youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with the knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So what's going on here? He's like, yo, give me the best of the best Israelites. I want some people that are, are skillful in their labor, not some common people, some skillful people. Skillful people, I want them buff and tough. I want them smart and attractive. So look for someone named Brian Gangwish. See if, see if you can find him in that crowd, right? Okay, no. They found out I wasn't born yet, so then they, they kept looking. But anyways, why? Why did that happen? Let's read on. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So they wanted, the king wanted best of the best, best of the best Israelites. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to defile these teenagers because he wanted them to forget their past. He said, you guys live for this God, and you guys are trying to live by, by what God said, well, hey, I know that if you eat these, all this food and then you, you're educated by me and all of us smart people, smart people, the world, what we think, we're way better than the Bible. We want, you to, we want you to forget what you've learned. In other words, he wanted to brainwash them. He wanted them to disobey God and brainwash them. But maybe, may, guys, maybe you've been faced with this in your own life. Maybe some friends have offered you, hey, smoke this hey, it's gonna be okay, don't listen, don't listen to the Bible, that's outdated. I mean, there's stuff written from 600 BC. You don't, need to, you don't need to listen to that. Hey, come to this party instead, don't go to youth group. Or maybe some of your friends are like, hey, it's okay, you can lie to your parents. It's just a white lie, but then one lie turns into another lie. And that's exactly what the world wants you to do, is to disobey God. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar wanted to do. He wanted to offer them the world. Let's keep reading in verse six. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Bechalzazar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. So what, is this, what does this have to do with anything? These are just names, right? Well, guess what? I did... I was like, why are these names mentioned? I can't hardly pronounce any of them. Who would, name, who would name these people this, right? It's like our torture today. Well, hey, Daniel actually means God is my judge, okay? Hananiah means God is gracious. Mishael, who is equal to God? Who is equal to God? Azariah, God has helped. So all of these names, these God-given names to these individuals, they were from God because they wanted to point back to him of how good he is, right? The king said, nope, I wanna brainwash you so much, I wanna forget, I want you to forget even who you are. He struck them at an identity level. He's like, I want you to question your identity. I want you to question who you are before God. You need to forget that, you're mine now. He said, you belong to the world. And so he named them, Daniel, you know what his name meant after it was changed? Hey girl. 
protect the king. He got so deep into Daniel, he's like, nope, you're not a dude anymore. You're a girl. And hey, girl, protect the king. You're mine. Hananiah, God is gracious? No, God is scary. You should be afraid of God. He's mean. Be afraid of God. Not God is gracious. Nope. You have a new identity. Your name means God is scary. You should be afraid. Mishael, who is equal to God? Nope. You should be despised as an individual. You should be a coward. That's who you are. That's who you are now. Azariah, God has helped. Nope. You're a servant. You're nothing. You are nothing. How many times have you guys heard that from Satan, from the world? Like you're nothing. No, God is scary. Don't, don't go to him for help. He's a judge and you should be afraid of him. So many times in my life, I've, I've felt that as well. But hey, the world wants to make you question your identity. But your identity is not in what the world thinks of you. It's in what God thinks of you. Because first, you guys are a child of God. So let me ask you this. What is, what is your identity in? Maybe you're, maybe you're really good at basketball. So everyone at school has a nickname for you. Baller, shot collar, 20-inch blades on the Impala. Maybe that's your nickname. <laughs> maybe that's not your nickname. But hey, <laughs> so I mean, on a more personal level, like I, like I used to smoke things that I shouldn't be smoking. And everyone at school back in high school, like they called me Smokey. And it was like, oh yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's really funny. And then I got really good at skateboarding and then people were like, oh man, you're, you're, like, the new Tony, you're like the next Tony Hawk. I'm like, yeah, the next Tony Hawk, yeah. So then my identity started to get wrapped up in that. And so then I started to put, man, my skateboarding or my music, man, my drumming, all of this is more important than what God thinks of me. But our identity is first in God. It's, it's him who, it, he's, the, he's the one who says who we are, not the other way around. We don't say who we are. We ask him. So let me ask you, what's your identity in? Is it in the Lord? Well, let's see how Daniel responds to this. In verse eight, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. He said, I don't care what you call me. You can call me anything because I'm not defined by the world. I'm defined by God. My identity is in the one who created me, not the one who thinks that they can rename me. So he knew that his identity was in God. And in verse nine, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the use who are for the king? Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned, or Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Two things. First, we see the eunuch. He's so scared. Who's he afraid of? He's afraid of Nebuchadnezzar. He's not afraid of God. He's like, I'm scared of what the king's going to do. I'm scared. I'm scared. You guys aren't laughing? Okay. <laughs> my, my nieces and nephew talk like that, and I love it. It's so cute. But anyways... Hey, they were scared. He was scared. He's like, man, I'm scared what the king's gonna do. Like, I don't wanna tell him that. Have you seen what he's done? But Daniel's like, I don't care what the king's done. Have you seen what my God's done? Man, he split the sea. He rose from the grave. Boom. He knew his identity was in God. All right. Well, hey, if you look down in verse 11, Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs 
had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Remember that they were, remember that they were like renamed up previously in the passage? I mean, if you guys have your Bibles, you can see this. Well, their names are mentioned again down later, but it's not their new names that the world gave them. It's the names that God gave them because God wanted them to be remembered by who he knows them as, not how the world knows them as. Because when God gives you a name, he means it. He means it. So we should all look to see who God wants us to be. So moving on to verse 12, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that there were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So what's this mean? Eat your vegetables. No? No? Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's not what this means. Okay. God gives Daniel and his friends 10 times, says that 10 times greater strength, knowledge, and understanding. Why did he do that? Because Daniel lived by the word of God. He lived by the word of God and not the world. He said, I don't care what this king tells me because it's gonna defile me of, who, of what God wants for my life. Am I gonna say, king, are, you're not in charge. God's, God's the one that even made you. Who are you to tell me what to do? So he was like, I'm living by the word of God and not the world. And so this, te- this test kinda, uh, text kind of reminds me of Matthew 4 when Jesus was tempted. Do you guys remember that story? So we see here like Daniel's eating all this food and he's tempted with food. Should I eat this food? I mean, the king was like, hey, I'll give you, I'll give you all the food you want. Steak, steak dinners. You can have all the food and all the drink. That's what he said. He even says drink. But yeah, it reminds me of Matthew 4. You remember when Jesus was tempted? Satan said, hey, here's the world. I will give you the world. And what does Jesus say? Nope. I'm following what my father says. Whatever, whatever the father says is what I'm gonna be doing. I need to be obedient to him. And then Satan says, okay, you're so hungry. You've been out here for 40 days. See that rock over there? Just turn it into bread. Just go ahead and turn it into bread. I know you're hungry. Jesus said, hey, it's not, man does not, what does he say? Man does not live on bread alone but every word from the mouth of God. See, Jesus knew it. Daniel knew that he needed to live by the word of God and follow the word instead of the world. And Jesus gives us the example of what to do. But I mean, Daniel, Daniel was obedient and Jesus was perfect, right? So of course he's gonna obey. But I mean, what does it mean for us? Because I mean, a lot of times I don't make the right decisions. I don't know about you. Sometimes I choose the world over the word of God. Can I get an amen to that? Anyone still struggle with that? I'm sinful. So, okay, so we see how Daniel responds. We see how Jesus responds. But I'm gonna tell you, the, I'm gonna tell you what happened when 
I didn't obey God. I'm gonna tell you my story tonight if that's okay. So I was raised in Nebraska. Go Big Red, right? No, okay, yeah, you guys are from Tennessee, you guys don't like Nebraska. But I was raised in Nebraska. Man, I grew up in the church. I was, I was going to Awana every Wednesday night. You guys, Awana? Any Sparkies, any Cubbies? Yeah, you know it. Well, I was there every Wednesday night. I mean, I was at church every Sunday morning. Um, every summer I was at church camp. I mean, I remember that. And I also, man, I remember uh, going to church on Thursdays, but it wasn't for like church, it was for Boy Scouts. And then I got kicked out because my friends and I were <laughs> being bad. So see, I'm really sinful. But uh, man, I, was, I just remember always going to the church, like going to church, doing church activities. But my big struggle was faith and friends. Man, God had revealed himself to me in a very, a very strong way. But I was always struggling with friends. I went to, I went to hang out with all these skater friends of mine who, I mean, they just had a very bad past and they struggled a lot with, with drugs and like smoking weed, I mean, drinking and partying on the weekends. And I remember one time, it was after school, I was like 13 years old and we went into the, the back of my friend's house and uh, they were all kind of standing around and then pretty soon they all turned to me and they're like, see this joint, you have to smoke it or else you can't hang out with us. And those were like my only friends. And so I'm like, man, I don't know what to do. And they're like, seriously, you have to leave if you don't smoke this with us. And so I gave in, I was like, all right, I'll smoke it. And so then that turned into just partying with them and after a while, I was like, man, guys, like I'd still be going to church camp and doing all these church activities. And I'd even talk to them, man, I don't, I don't really feel like this is right. I don't feel like this is right in my soul. And they're like, well, do you want friends? You're not gonna find any friends. We're your only friends. Are you gonna hang out with us or, or are you gonna go, go off to church? And so I, I just followed my friends. And then when, once college, or I guess once my senior year came around, I was like, man, I've had enough of this. I feel it like deep in my soul that God has something better for me. So I went off to college for a year back in Nebraska and I joined a band and they weren't doing drugs or anything. So I was like, man, this is like the next step. But pretty soon, like we all started to party again. And I was on tour going to California and, and Colorado and all over. And I was like, man, this is, this is the life. But I still felt this pull. It was like, man, I wanna do what's right. But what the world is offering me, like it's fun. And I, I just felt this, this confusion in my heart. And so bad decision after bad decision just kept happening. And then finally I was like, man, the one thing that I have left is my virginity. I'm gonna, I'm gonna save that until I'm married. But then I made the mistake of moving in with my girlfriend at the time and I lost that, I lost my virginity. And I was like, man, I just remember crying out to God and like literally crying in bed at night, just crying out to him saying, God, please help, help me. I've, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know what to do. Cause I knew what God promised me, but I knew what the, the world had offered me. It was like all of Satan's promises, just they blossom into lies. And every single time I was just left broken and empty and I had nowhere to turn. And so one night I prayed, I was like, God, if you get me out of this situation, I promise you, I will never look back ever. And then that night, 
I prayed that prayer. The next day I woke up and my mom had just moved back from, from Texas. And uh, she called me and she's like, hey, I found a place here in town and has two bedrooms and uh, you know a bathroom. And I was like, oh, you want me to move in with you? And she's like, no, I was just telling you that it had multiple bedrooms. And I was like, man, I, I told her everything. I just spilled, spilled my guts. I'm like, mom, I am not living how God wants me to live. And I, I need out. Can I live, can I move in with you? And she's like, oh yeah. And so from that day, man, I was like, I'm, I'm giving, I'm leaving the world behind and I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow the Lord. And through all of those situations, man, like before I had made that decision, I was so depressed deep down. I mean, Satan continually just fed these little lies. You're worthless. You have no friends, no one's gonna like you. This, you're at the end of your rope, you should just stay there. You don't want God, he's betrayed you. And even after making that decision, even still to this day, I mean, I'm 29 years old and I'm single and I've actually went on dates with girls and they've said, oh, you're not a virgin, we can't date. And then Satan's like, see, I told you. But what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? It says that God knows the plans that he has for us to give us a hope and a future. And this is what I'm clinging to. Guys, almost 3,000 years ago, there was a king that tried to destroy this thing. And guess what? It's still here today. So what are you gonna cling to? Are you gonna feast on what the world is feeding you, all those lies? Are you gonna feast on the world or are you gonna feast on the word? Because this is the only thing that has lasted over 3,000 years. And God brought me out of all my brokenness. I mean, I'm still sinful. I still have a lot to learn. But man, this thing is true. If this thing has lasted this long, surely it's gotta be true. And looking at my own life, it, pro it pulled me out of so much brokenness that Jesus is the only hope. He is the only one who can bring hope. He is the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us so we can have eternal life. You guys believe that? Amen. So guys, the world leaves you empty. The word, it leaves you filled. So feast on the word and not the world. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, God. Thank you for the word in flesh. Jesus, you came and you dwelt among us. Lord, you bore our sin. You bore our shame, God, to relate with us, to give us a hope and a future. Lord, it's because of you that we're even here tonight that we're able to stand. God, kings have passed away, but God, you are the true king and you stand forever that your word says that you never change, that Jesus was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, we thank you for that truth. Lord, you're the only hope that we have. God, I pray that we would cling to you in our time of temptation. God, I pray that we would cling to you in our pain. And Lord, I pray that we would not forget you and cling to you even in the joys of life. Lord, you're our only hope. You're the one who fills our lungs with breath. Lord, may our breath in everything we do glorify your name. We pray this in Jesus' name.